had a comedy show last night. That's my com- uh, my monthly comedy show. Yeah, my, my schedule is pretty sporadic because uh, comedy is sporadic. I just did a, a month-long or five-week-long tour, but that's not, um, you know, there's no consistency really to my schedule. It's just constantly trying to book yourself on shows and uh, or, you know, plus doing my own show. And then I had that tour, so I was doing shows every day, almost every day for five weeks. Yeah, it's really it's really sporadic. I mean, there's slow times, there's faster times and when I say faster times I mean there are times where I have like I don't know five shows a week or four shows a week or then there are times when I just have like one show a month or two or something so that's your nights Mm -hmm. or that's a portion of your nights Uh uh-huh are the days spent writing (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah Yeah. um I mean ideally they would be but okay how do I spend my days well yeah, I, I mean, I try to spend some time writing, but um, pretty bad at being productive. I, I mean, you know, there's bursts of uh, mm. productivity and inspiration, of course. I also have a podcast, so I spend time doing that. I edit the podcast and... That's a new addition, right? Uh-huh, to my portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like a, hey, I have noticed that my days are sort of empty. I should probably start a podcast. I wouldn't say it's a direct result of my days being empty. My days aren't empty. I don't know why I'm having a hard time being like, what do I do with my days? I mean, you know, I go to the gym. I try to write. I uh, go to the movies. I sometimes work in a bar. I, you know, sit on my ass on the couch and I scroll. (laughs) Takes up a fair amount of time. I draw. I mean, I don't know. It again, it depends on like what's going on in my life. If, like, for instance, if I have a tour coming up or if I have like a target to reach for, then I'll maybe spend more mm-hmm. time. It's always easier to be productive if you have a reason sure. to be. I mean, if you have like a concrete date where you're like, I have this show coming up or I have this sketch to write or I have this meeting and so I have to have these things prepared or whatever it is. Um, It's harder when it's just like, oh, you should be motivated to write for yourself. Mm -hmm. It makes it harder. What sort of sketches are you doing? Well, I I was working with a producer to write a sketch show, which, again... A a, a TV or a live thing? It would have been a TV show. And, um, you know, and she was trying to help me shop it. And then, I don't know, communication just uh, filtered out. But it was... And, you know, even when I was working on it, to be honest, I was like, I was like, you know, I, I don't really expect things to happen. Framing it as she was going to help me shop it around. Exactly. Sounds like it was in the very early stages. Super early stages. And so even when I was working on it, I was like, I was yeah. like, you know, even if it falls through with her, at least it will have forced me to sit down and write these things. Sketches. It's good to have sketches. Yeah, you can absolutely. Reuse sketches. Absolutely. No, I yeah. still have. I still have a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and I. So I will probably uh, pick that back up yeah. in the new year um, because then I also went on tour. So I was writing all these sketches, like comedy sketches. Um, I write comedy songs, and I have like four or five right now that I've recorded. Mm-hmm. Are those out in the world? No, I've performed a couple of them live, okay. but uh, no, I'm. I, what I wanted to do, the, the show that I want to still want to do, is um, comedy sketches, comedy songs with uh, you know funny music videos, mm-hmm. and um, and woman on the street stuff. I love doing you know woman on the street like accosting people with a microphone, mm-hmm. a la a Ali G kind of, or Billy yeah. on the street. Yeah, there's no 
barrier of entry theoretically of actually like putting these out into the world at this no, point. No, um, I used to be better at when I say better. I mean, I, I used to yeah. do it more. I used to do like, I mean, the first comedy things that I ever did were uh, I did a British character and I went to Coachella and I dressed up and I wore a wig and I wore, you know, sunglasses and like I, I looked pretty out of place mm-hmm. for the Coachella crowd. Hence the Ollie G reference. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I, I was definitely heavily influenced by Ollie G, yeah. but I was like, I got somebody that works with my husband to follow me around with like a, a digital camera and I uh-huh. used a little zoom recorder and I interviewed people and I, you know, I, I do a character and I've done the character since. So her name is Barb Brixton. She's a British woman. She has a blog called fashion cunt and, uh, and we have, I have a theme mm-hmm. song. And, um, so I just interviewed people about like fashion. It was definitely, I mean, definitely pretty influenced by Bruno specifically, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I guess I tried to get people to like, my my character Barb is pretty shallow, and uh, the, the fashion cunt is shallow. The fashion yeah. cunt, yeah. I mean, I know, crazy. You said that was your first comedy thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't that wasn't all that long ago. No, I, I used to be a touring musician yeah, yeah. for many years. What made you think that that was a thing that you could do? Like, how how did you make that transition? Uh, I think I always wanted to do comedy, but for some reason, music seemed like a more viable path. Sure. <laughs> because, I mean, there was, you know, like I went to college. I went to Berkeley College of Music. You were a bass player? Is a that... bass player, yeah. And everybody needs a bass player. Yeah, yeah. Everybody needs a bass player. People like a female bass sure. player. Doesn't hurt to be a woman, sort of. <laughs> in some in some ways. And, yeah. yeah. No, it hurts in many other yeah. ways, physically and emotionally. <laughs> you are a classically trained musician? I guess. Ish? You went to school. I you went, went to, to the Bert. You went yeah, to the I'm music a, school and studied yeah. music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was the plan? Was there a plan? No, I yeah. don't know. I guess there never really was a plan. I really just went there because I used to play. I had a, like a punk band in mm-hmm. high school, and I took music lessons. And my teacher, even though he knew that I didn't practice enough, he was yeah. like, you know, maybe you should try out for Berkeley. And I was like, all right, sure, because the other options were like, I uh, McDonald's, McDonald's college just for whatever like i truly yeah. had no idea i was like i don't know i do art and how music. were you just naturally gifted you were in a punk band and you made it into the past no, audition mean, I, for berkeley i know i'm definitely, i feel like i'm missing a couple steps in i there. don't know yeah or are they just letting anybody in these days i mean i did take i took bass lessons for years okay. it's not you know i'm not some schlub off the street yeah just like so i was in a punk band but i was in you know i took music lessons okay i'm not saying that i'm like was ever supremely gifted. I don't know why they let me in. <laughs> it's a very prestigious yeah. music university. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it is. Yeah, I took music lessons and, you know, who knows? Maybe they were like, well, we don't have enough women in the bass program. <laughs> I mean, this is like a cynical, like self-deprecating perspective sure. to have on it, but I truly don't know because it's not, I didn't excel there. I just was fine. I mean, you made it through. I made it through. Okay. So yeah. you were you were good enough, but that didn't open up any kind of specific doors in the music world? Um, I think it did, actually. And, you know, what they tell you when you're at Berkeley is they're like, uh, what's the word? They're like meet people, basically. Yeah, uh, networking. Network. Yeah. They tell you to network. And That's uh, the the thing that I've realized in my adult life is that is that's the secret to everything. Yeah. I made that, like, the boneheaded mistake of working really hard. <laughs> My and God. that's gotten in the thinking? way of all of my networking. <laughs> no, I mean, working really hard, I think, works, too. Because if you just keep fucking, you know, hitting the wall the with your head, then eventually it'll break. Um, Either your head or the wall will break. <laughs> I think that Martin Luther King said that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I worked sort of hard. And, 
yeah, I don't know what the path was. So I went to Berkeley and then I moved back home and I lived with my between my dad and my mom mm-hmm. in uh, Queens and Montclair, New Jersey. And um, I don't know why I said the town. No one's going to hunt down your parents. Leave my dad alone. <laughs> He's a very nice man, hardworking doctor. Yeah, so then I started a band and um, it was fine. It wasn't that good. I don't know. I'm not proud of that. Band. <laughs> but then, oh yeah. So what actually happened was that. So, but by the way, so you're, you're you know, your hardworking doctor, father, your mm-hmm. parents, you know, they see you going to Berkeley mm-hmm. and they must assume like, all right, well, she's going to be, yeah, she's going to be all right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think so. I think they thought so. Uh, my dad would call me and say like, are you practicing? And I'd be mm-hmm. like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sort of practicing. And I was sort of, I, again, it's just like, I worked pretty hard, but, like, to really excel at a place like Berkeley, those kids, I mean, spent hours a day practicing. I did not do that. I spent, like, two hours, an hour a day. Do you feel, though, that going there and studying it might have taken some of the romanticism out of it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's not a place where um, creativity thrives. Sure. They're like, this is how you play jazz, and this is, you know, and then you learn music theory. You know that very very strict form of music, jazz? Uh, Well, (laughs) I mean... No, it it is pretty strict. I like the sure. methods that they do. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. took like bass labs, like style labs. Yeah. So they're like, this is how you play. Like I took a slap style lab, which okay. if most people would probably assume, you know, and yeah. people like Flea kind of, I think, just figured out his own way yeah. to slap bass. But I learned a very like learned approach you know, to the scientific method of funk. Yeah, of yeah, basically. Uh, like the proper method mm-hmm. to slap. What is the proper the method? method? What, what don't most people know about slapping the bass? I have no idea what anybody knows about slapping the bass, but it's not just like willy-nilly, like hitting it. Like my teacher taught yeah. me to have, you know, your your wrist at a certain angle okay. in relation to the bass and you slap it with your thumb in a, in a certain way. And then, you know, you pluck it with this finger. Okay. And so you go, do, do, you know, whatever. Um, and like a certain place on the fretboard that you're supposed to do it. Like in front of the pickup. You're pantomiming an electric bass. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing everybody at Berkeley playing a stand-up bass. No, I, I went there for electric bass. Okay. I it, mean, I think also... It's a distinct discipline. Mm-hmm. You studied the method. You graduate from school. Mm-hmm. What comes next? And then I moved home with my parents. Uh, I started a band. And I was working at a bar in the mm-hmm. Lower East Side, which uh, also when I was at Berkeley, I truly didn't know what I was doing there. There was no plan. I've never had a plan. I don't know. Yep. So I, I used to intern. It's turned out okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. You're, um, you're on a podcast. You have a I'm, podcast. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, you must have thought it was okay because you asked me to come here. Um, no, it's okay. I interned at a bar, like a music venue bar called The Living Room that you, no longer exists. You interned at a bar? At a music venue. Okay. But it was also a bar. So they had, I mean, like Nora Jones got her start yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. It was a singer-songwriter bar. and on uh, Orchard? It was on Ludlow. And uh, yeah, I don't know. They put an ad out for interns and my mom was like, and the, I think they used like a keyword that said, you know, music business. And my yeah. mom was like, maybe you want to do a music business. Sure. And I was like, maybe. And I just ended up interning there in the summers and I would, you know, work in the office during the day. But every time they wanted somebody to run errands, I would yeah. just be like, yeah, I'll go run errands because it's really fun to just walk around New York City. That's how I got to know the city was through internships. I did an internship at The Onion. Every Monday morning, I would have to go and make sure that the um, the news boxes were a certain Oh, uh, yeah, I miss those Onion news boxes. Inches from the, the curb. And there's, <laughs> you know this, it's, it's right around here, actually. The um, There's kind of a, the West 4th stop, there's like an island on uh-huh. like 6th Avenue. It's just like a little like concrete island mm-hmm, right there. Mm-hmm. 
without fail, every single Monday morning, somebody would have knocked them all over and just piled the boxes on top of each other. Oh, wow. And the thing you don't realize is they're incredibly – they all have cinder blocks in them. Oh, God. So you have to just pick them up and move them around. Dang. Talk about just like completely taking all of the romanticism out <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, Working at the Onion, you have to, you're like, oh, I have to go lift up the yeah. cinder blocks on the little island in the middle of Sixth Avenue. It, it is kind of like a trial by fire, right? I mean, if you do that thing and you decide that it's still a thing that you want to do, then you're probably on the right path. Yeah. I mean, I guess with an internship like that, the hopes are that you're paying your dues because yeah. everybody has paid these dues and it shows your dedication. And then eventually you work your way up and then, you know, you get to do the thing you want to do and you feel that you've earned it. And the living room didn't quite work out that way. No. I mean, it's not like I was there being like, man, I hope that one day, like I'm going to be the queen of the living sure. room. I, tr- again, I just didn't know. And my mom was like, why don't you take this internship in New York city? And I was like, yeah, I would yeah. love an opportunity to just go to New York every day. But useful it. that, I mean, that you have parents who live in or yeah. around the uh-huh. city, uh-huh. I imagine. Definitely. The, that was where I got my first real gig from, because then for years I was like a hired gun musician. So I, I worked at the living room. I started off as an intern. And I, you know, so I met all these people mm-hmm. through working there, musicians and, you know, bartenders, service industry people. You were doing the networking thing there. I guess so. I mean, just by nature of being there. Just by being you, a generally sociable person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I met, and you know, it also felt cool because I was 19 or 18 when I started working there. Maybe I was like 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I would hang out in the bar even though I wasn't of age. And I, I don't remember if they served me. I think maybe they did sometimes closed now it's fine yeah that's true <laughs> no one's taking away their liquor license <laughs> that's true but so then i started waitressing there i became uh-huh. a cocktail waitress there i was and there was a sound guy there and i was playing bass in my band and he, his name is jason roberts and uh he now plays with Nora jones mm. but he was playing in this band called the phenomenal handclap band and he was like oh we're auditioning bass players do you want to come audition and i was like sure and so i did and i got the gig and then from there, I mean, that band, we toured all over Europe and the U.S. We opened for Brian Ferry. Hmm. I ended up through that recording with Brian Ferry. Um, you played on a Brian Ferry record? I ended up singing on a Brian okay. Ferry record. But it was a weird thing. Uh, I don't know why he asked us to come record, because he has, like, the best of the best musicians yeah. playing He's kind of him. a weird guy, though, uh, I get the vibe. He is a weird guy, yeah. yes. I mean, he's a very polite guy. Sure. Very nice guy. But he's not putting on an act with the weirdness. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I don't think he's putting on an act. <laughs> he's just a weird dude. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, <laughs> but also, like, I don't know, we opened for him, and he's kind of older at this point. He's sure. in his 70s, probably, when, I mean, this was eight years ago or something. I don't know how it's old he is. It's probably about in 70s now, I would guess, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but also at that time, yeah. he was married to a woman that used to date his son. So, yeah, he's, you know, he's an interesting yeah. guy. But, yeah, at the end of one of our tours that we did, he flew me and the lead singer of that band out, and we recorded with him for two days, and it was covers of his old songs. Like Roxy Music? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like Love is the Drug, but yeah. it was like a different, you know, kind of a stylistically yeah. different version. It's one of those It's one of those where you wonder if he, like, actually wanted to reinvent it or if, like, there was some sort of licensing thing. Probably a licensing thing. Yeah. I mean, because also with that band, we record, the first thing I did with them was fly to London and record for a week at uh, Rack Studios. And it was because Rack Studios owned the masters or or own the licensing to a bunch of old cover songs, and they had us re-record all those covers so that they could license them because they were, like, the cheaper licensing yeah. option. So you're, what, 20, 21 at the time? Yeah. 
probably 20, no, probably like 23 at the time. Okay, so you're 23 at the time. Brian Ferry is flying you around on a plane. One, I mean, one time. He flew you. <laughs> no, but that, okay, that's exactly one more time that Brian Ferry has ever flown me around right, on a plane. Right, right, right. Probably most of the people yeah, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, I, I don't know. He's yeah. got a lot of money. <laughs> he must have felt like he made it at that point. Definitely. I guess it, it did feel that way. It felt really cool because we were touring in Europe. And yes, and I was recording and Brian Ferry flew us there. But then, you know, that band had sort of a tumultuous end. There were a lot of there was a lot of infighting. Mm. I mean, when I joined the band, I was the newest member, obviously. And then by the time, you know, the last tour came around, I was the second longest running member yeah. in the band. So... I, I guess we had gone through like four or five different members at that point. New lead singer, because of infighting. Was there jealousy when you're kind of the newish person being flown around by Brian Ferry? Well, the, I don't think there was jealousy from that. But I, yeah. I mean, I guess there was some stuff. Someone else had been, I think, promised the bass player role mm. at, when I joined, and I didn't know this. And then, like, and then you know, she saw me and we were celebrating me being in the band and I had no idea any of this was going on. And I think somebody in the band kind of resented me because they wanted to play bass. And I don't know, there was some weirdness there, but I was completely oblivious. I mean, I was somewhat oblivious everybody wasn't always nice to me all the time, but I was like, oh, I don't know. That's not my problem. <laughs> you do this Brian Ferry gig and you kind of, you go back home, you're just back in the band. Things are kind of back to normal at that point. I think so. I'm trying to remember the exact timeline. Well, actually, so the Brian Ferry thing happened at the end of a particularly tumultuous tour okay. in which two members quit. Uh-huh. And, uh, but then we went and recorded. Over the course of the tour, two people quit? Yeah. And so... It was one night in Switzerland oh, where two people somebody, quit two people quit in that night because somebody in the band um, had a real bad night, let's say. Yeah. And, uh, On stage. Not on stage. Not on stage. Not on stage. It was after. It was after the show. I I don't know. I think I think they were under a lot of pressure. This person. Two people quit. One person has a broken hand. Their hands. Uh huh. Tour's over. No, we continued the tour. How? How How many? Wait, how many members of the band are there? Were there five? Five. Five. And you just lost three. Well, we they okay. So they quit, but they were like at the end of the tour. We're done. Okay. They stayed on for the tour, and the person with the broken hand played with one hand. We're in New York. I had a, I had one of those situations where, uh, where I had a breakup, but we were still on the lease. Mm-hmm. So we still had classic to New York story. live together, and by a turn of circumstances, actually had to like share a, a bed together. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is it's not quite the same, but it's like similar in yeah. that like these people. There's just so much bad blood, and yet you've got to like be in a nice <laughs> in cl- van, yeah, driving yes. around with these people. That must have been miserable. Um, I mean, everybody kind of pulled it together. Yeah. It was okay. I mean, it was tense. But there were also enough other people that, like, the people that hated each other could kind of talk to other people and sort of, you know, it wasn't like the silent treatment was Mm -hmm. happening. It was just kind of a general feeling of tension. Um, But we all did it. We all finished the tour, and it was fine. And we had it, you know, it was fine. And then at the end of the tour, me and the singer flew to record with Brian for a couple days, flew home. And then after that, I did one more tour with new people, like, pretty much new people. All new people. Same name. Same name. Phenomenal hand clap band. And uh, and I met a really good friend of mine, Sabila Tar, who replaced the lead singer. She's a Swedish singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. And uh, we're still very good friends to this day. At that point, what makes you keep going with a band after <laughs> ostensibly everybody has left? Well, 
because I still had opportunities to yeah. play. And so you asked me before if it felt like I had made it. Yeah. I did, but then I shortly, you know, soon after realized that I had not made it because every single gig, when it ended, I was like, where is the next gig coming mm-hmm. from? You know, when that band... So that's why I stayed in the band, because I'm like, well, I still have a job in this band. I still have an opportunity to go tour through Europe, even though, you know, it's kind of a, like... You know, there were a lot of problems with it. And yeah. then I was like, oh, yeah, okay, so maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should have jumped off the sinking ship. Sounds like uh, the opportunities that you had, the doors that were open, were open because of this, you know, pre-existing band that people knew the name. Yes. I mean, did you feel that you were kind of playing shows or touring under almost like false pretenses? No, because no. it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, I think it would have been different if I was the lead singer. Yeah. But as the bass player, like, you know, you can... That's just the nature of being a hired gun musician. Yeah. You just play the part. You felt like you were still a hired gun at that point? Abs- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I okay. wasn't making any creative decisions, really, or at all. But but there was one time I thought, you know, there was... So, <laughs> Bass Player Magazine did a write-up of the album, and they mm-hmm. credited me as being the bass player on the record, which I wasn't. Oh. And that made me feel, like, weird and bad, and I wrote them. Yeah. I don't... They, they never responded, and it was, you know... It was just a little blurb, and someone else in the band was like, just take it. And I was like, no, I don't want to take it. That's not me. And it's, you know, it feels weird and bad to take credit for someone else's work. That must be the first time Bass Player Magazine ever got a letter from somebody (laughs) telling them they weren't the person playing on a record. Yeah. I mean, that's really, like, nice and humble, but I can't imagine a lot of people do that. No, probably not. Well, I mean, I don't, how often is Bass Player Magazine fucking it up, though? I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell. I don't know. But possibly all the time? Possibly, who knows if <laughs> yeah. any of those people actually even play the bass in that magazine. Is, is Bass Player Magazine even a going concern anymore? I, don't, I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm out of the biz now, so I don't know. But, but yes, I did write them, and they didn't respond, and I doubt they ret- printed a retraction. Sure. Because <laughs> who cares? You're out of the biz. I mean, you're just – you're done – yeah, with the music industry. With yeah. the music industry. Mm-hmm. You're, you're done making music? I make comedy songs. Yeah. And I would like to put out an album. But yeah, so I played in Phenomenal Handclap Band, and then from there, you know, every now and then I would get... Every now and then. I played in a lot of other bands. I played in a band called Psycho Buildings. I played in a band called Diane Coffee, which I also met that guy at the living room. I was waitressing. Mm-hmm. I used to be in a band called Friends. They had a... What was their hit song? Um, when you see me walking around with him... I'm not just some other girl. I'm his girl. Anyway, that didn't sound great, but everybody's like, good thing you're out of the biz. Um, (laughs) I have uh, sang backups on television twice, so. When you started the comedy thing, you just, you made a clean start. You felt like you were Mm -hmm. just, you were done Mm -hmm. with that side of things. Yeah. I toured for years with a band called Foxygen. They're probably the best known band that I ever toured with um, as a backup singer. And uh, I met them because I played in a band called Dying Coffee, which is the uh, still a band. Um, the drummer from Foxygen's side project, mm-hmm. his or his band, uh, which is their it's a good band. He's a great singer, musician. Um, yes, yeah. I guess I just I was just creatively unfulfilled. I I never you know was able to like write heartfelt or you know great songs or anything. But I always wanted to do comedy and um, have always been very funny. So. And modest. Yeah. Listen, I I, I emailed Bass Player Magazine. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, not modesty. No, that's, 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 good, that's good karma for you. <laughs> I mean, that must have been a, a hard decision, though. I mean, this thing that you I – mean, I assume at that point in your life and in your career felt like it was a thing that defined you. 
Yes, it was a really hard decision. Absolutely. It was very scary because I also felt like I had spent so much time establishing myself in this mm-hmm. world and then to just like throw it away and start completely fresh in an even scarier, more difficult creative industry, in my opinion. It was really scary. But um, I don't know. I just started doing it. It made me much happier to do. You felt like you couldn't have really ever been creatively fulfilled by just being the bass player in a band? Yeah, absolutely not. I, I wanted to like express myself. It's just that music was not the medium for me okay. to do that. And I figured that out. And after, yeah, touring is a hired gun, like I said, for so many bands, I was just like, it's fun. I love to play music. It's really yeah. fun and enjoyable. But it's not, but I do want to be the one that's like doing my thing. It is kind of crazy to take that for granted, to be like, hey, I'm doing this like thing that probably a lot of people would kill themselves to do. And like you said, you were enjoying doing it. Mm hmm. It wasn't scratching that that certain edge. But mm-hmm. th- in hindsight, does it sort of feel weird to have kind of taken that for granted? That you I don't think I took it for granted. No. I mean, uh, I don't owe it to anybody else to continue doing sure. a profession that uh, – I mean, listen, it's not like it was all highs either. I had sure. experienced tons of rejection. Like I said, I wasn't – I didn't excel at Berkeley. I'm not the best bass player or singer that's, that there's ever been. I was just like doing it and uh, scraping by. And, you know, mostly enjoying it, but also, I mean, <laughs> to, yeah, a lot of those tours, like I said, there was a lot of uh, tumult. tumult? Um, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> it's tumultuous, but it's yeah. tumult. Yeah, I think that's right. There were, I mean, there's plenty of, like, friction and, like, big personalities. Yeah. And to not be the person that's making creative decisions uh, or making any decisions and just is hired, I mean... I want to be my own boss. I guess the math is sort of like, you know, if I'm going to scrape by, I want to be scraped by doing yeah, something doing that my I actually thing. want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, I, it sounds, uh, I don't know. I'm not trying to sound pretentious, but I consider myself an artist and not yeah. just like, I mean, if I was a fucking amazing killing bass player, like there are some people that are just so good. They're like session players and sure. they're, and they're so good. And that's not me. <laughs> So I'm like, you know, I can be like, I don't know, okay at a thing that at least is my creative output, whatever. How soon after you had made that decision did you jump into comedy? Well, I started taking improv classes while I was still touring with Foxygen. Um, We would have breaks in between tours, and I took an improv class. It was just sort of a fun thing on the side, or it was like, hey, this is my exit strategy? Uh, I I was not thinking of it like that at the time. I guess it was sort of a fun thing, but it was something that I wanted to explore. Yeah. And um, I but, really but there was no there was no for pretense that this was a no career. I wasn't like I'm transitioning careers it yeah. wasn't until I started doing it and enjoying it um, and then doing stand up that I was like oh I think this is what I want to do instead so I took improv classes in between tours and I really enjoyed it it was so fun and I would go to tons of improv shows and I started and I made some friends through improv and I started doing stand up with one of my friends that I met at improv and I just like really I mean I was like I actually have things to say. Mm-hmm. on stage in the context of stand-up that I don't, you know, I, I just can't express myself that uh, that way through music or songs. In any way, was having a, a career in music, was that a good, was that good preparation for comedy? Yes, um, because I can, uh, I know how to be on stage. Uh, I don't get, I mean, I still got, get some stage fright sometimes, but not really. So I think, uh, yeah, it wasn't like I was going to zero. You know, I already was a performer. Especially stand-up, you know, sketch to some degree or improv to some degree. But just being out there alone seems Mm -hmm. way scarier to me than, than, you know, having a bass in front of you and having a whole band with you. It is. It is scarier. 
definitely <laughs> it's much scarier yeah having it being able to hide behind a base is a, is is great yeah you feel like people don't see you at what point were you like hey this is a thing that's working this is a thing that i could feasibly really do i don't know i mean i started doing it i would go to open mics with my friend you know every now and then somebody would be like that was you were funny or something or i would get a good reaction or something and then we started doing our own show yeah. and i started you know and i gained confidence in it and i was like yeah i think this is this is what I want to do, but it's, I mean, it's really, really a tough, it's a tough thing to break into also just because it's kind of clicky. You And you also, I mean, like, even when you're starting out, you, you, you know that there's a difference between your friends saying, hey, you were good, or like oh, being yeah. the funniest person in your office or your classroom or of something. Of course, of course. And actually being like, hey, this is a, this is a thing that I can do as a job. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I ever, I don't know. I don't know. I just felt I just started to feel confident. And I'm also, uh, you know, a student of stand up and I watched a ton of stand up. Um, not when I was growing up, more in like college, I guess. I'm trying to think, I, you know, I would go to stand up shows. I'd see local stand up shows and I would go. I saw like Bill Burr mm. and uh, I used to uh, be into and, you know, Mitch Hedberg and sure. others, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then videos, others. Yeah. Sure. But also when I started doing it, I started watching a ton more stand-up yeah. and really – and like going to the comedy cellar to watch stand-up and whatever. The clickiness, God, it's, it does seem way clickier than, than music, you know, especially since – especially in New York where there's like – there's really just – there's one – there's literally like a school that kind of calls all the shots it seems like. Were, were you in the UCB world at all? Only in that I took – I mean I took yeah. a bunch of classes there. I took all four of the – first you know there's the first four levels and then there's advanced study and i took the first four levels um they, they really did seem to i don't know i don't know if it's still the case now but they really did seem to have kind of a stranglehold over so much of the comedy certainly scene. the improv scene i mean the stand-up scene is different yeah. and they did have stand-up shows there or they do still have stand-up shows there um so i I've, i'm less in that world now because i pretty much just exclusively do stand-up i don't really i mean i don't do any improv anymore yeah yeah, it's it's kind of clicky, or it felt really clicky. I mean, I guess it is. And I realize now that it's people are just like, I mean, it's a ton of people with like social anxiety and neuroses, you know, <laughs> all doing the same thing. I mean, that's why you do stand up, or those are the people that usually often do stand up. Um, I saw I saw that you had Josh Gondelman on the show. He's yeah. an exception to that rule. He's just, just an extremely friendly guy. You know, you talk to him for for the first min- ten minutes. And you're like, this has to be an act. And you're like, no, he's just. I think everybody thinks that. And he's like, no, nope, I'm just friendly. Yeah. I wish everybody was like Josh. Yeah, but yeah, so it's it's tough. But you know, you make your friends. You start you start to make your own friends and form your own little whatever click. And now I won't let anybody else in it. Sure. And now, now just raise first question is, is invariably what do you do? Mm-hmm. What, what's your answer to that question? Well, first of all, thank, thankfully I didn't see most of my family sure. for the holidays. Cause a lot of them still, I mean, I went to a wedding this summer and my dad's cousin was like, so you play a lot of instruments, right? And I was like, no, <laughs> I play one, I like play like one instrument. Yeah. And he was like, but you're, you, you're really good at it. Like, why did you stop doing that? And I, and I said to him what I said to you, and I think it really boggles people's mind because I still think that music seems like a much more concrete skill that you can quantify. Music is a thing just about everybody you talk to like has a band that they like, but not everybody goes to see stand up. Yeah, totally. So, or yeah. can even name more than two stand ups. Right. 
I swear I can't name more than two. Stars. I'm sure you can, <laughs> but you know, it's it's sort of like for most people, it's like you know, maybe you're Jerry Seinfeld, and now you know, like I, Ali Wong or something. But like, but it's stand up is not a thing that people actively think about as being a. It's a little more niche uh, than than music. Certainly, it, you're right. It's it's much more universal that everybody's like, oh sure. yeah, love Steely Dan. Sure, um, and who doesn't love Steely? Dan? A lot of people don't. I do. <laughs> I, I think they're fantastic. Yeah, you're right. So it, I mean, it it does feel a little weird, and it feels like people don't a lot. I mean. Yeah. My family specifically, not not my immediate family, but some so, of my extended family. So you know. said you answered the question in the same way that you answered to me. I suspect or would hope that it was a little more nuanced here. But like, what is your kind of like stock answer of like why you're not doing that anymore? Because it's not creatively fulfilling to me. And is that something that stranger understands? Not always. No, no, I don't. I and I don't think it's something that like my dad's cousin understands. Sure. He's like, I don't get it. You can do this thing. You played in bands. You were somewhat successful. Why did you do this? Did he kind of nod and walk away? He, I, he didn't want. He was sitting down. So. <laughs> did he stand up? I think and maybe walk he away? took a bite of his bagel, or maybe put yeah, some yeah, more yeah. locks on but the it, bagel. It was clear that that just wasn't getting through. He, I mean, or maybe he was like, okay, and you know, usually everybody, people are like, oh, there's this woman I love on Instagram sure. who's so funny, and I'm like, I'm sure there is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there is because of like Instagram or TikTok. Maybe there is more context for people understanding that there's like alternative routes to producing comedy in the world. Yeah, some people, but then, of course, sure. yeah, some people know. And, you know, and it doesn't matter to me if they yeah. get it. Um, be happy to just talk about something else. Sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm also fortunate that I have uh, – my husband is also a creative. He's a musician and was very encouraging. And, um, you know, when I was going into – when I started doing stand-up. And so it's nice to be uh, – have the support of another – Mm-hmm. creative person who's like yeah if you're gonna do that just go do be good at it just go like work hard at yeah. it and go do that the podcast must be nice though from the standpoint of of having kind of a regularly scheduled thing that you have to do yeah theoretically is it is it is it weekly or it's not it's, it's not okay so the podcast it's called ghosts to show you and it's me and my friend going on me and another comedian going on ghost investigations mm-hmm. so um so that's it's tough to coordinate I assume. it's like a very highly like produced there's a yeah. lot of elements to it it's, we go we, yes we first have to schedule going to a haunted place and uh and we record ourselves and then we later go back and we listen to all that audio and then i edit it and then we write voiceover and then we record the voiceover and then there's more editing and then we send it to my friend who does extra production and sound design it's a whole thing so, so it's, you decided when you were going to do this that you weren't going to half-ass this yeah, I think because um, I mean I I do love a lot of different types of podcasts, mm-hmm. but my favorite ones I think are investigative podcasts. And um, for my friend Jane does a podcast called The Dream, and she worked on uh, This American Life mm-hmm. for a really long time. And so I really love listening to a well produced, like researched that type of podcast where someone goes really deep. And I also I really like ghosts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would always try to find a good ghost podcast, and none of them really did it for me it's you know most of them are like two people reading a wikipedia page about a haunting or something that's most podcasts yeah exactly and then like in my opinion talking too much (laughs) like bantering for too long i'm like why is your podcast like two hours that's it's too long so yeah i wanted to make the podcast that i wanted to listen to which is produced like really produced funny about ghosts and uh the hosts are drunk when you're doing the investigation, when you're recording, or all of the above? Oh, yeah. When we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, not when we're editing. Not when we're editing. 
Um, ideally not, because that's but what when, I need to be. But when you're out on the... In, in yeah. The, yeah, okay. And, you know, part of that is because um, they say that it lowers your frequency and it makes you more, mm. like, susceptible or open to... Definitely more susceptible, but I don't know if it's <laughs> because it lowers your frequency. That's what I've been told. I suspect you're probably just more open to the idea of, of ghosts if your inhibitions are down. Sure, but, I mean, it is said of yeah. people who believe in ghosts... Uh, that you lower your frequency in there. And, you know, it's yeah. like it would be easier for t- to have some sort of encounter or something. Where do you fall in the spectrum of people who believe in ghosts? I believe in them, but I would still be shocked if I saw one, I think. Yeah. I still would be like, holy shit. Because it's like as much as I believe in it, I'm not really expecting to see anything. But I, you know, when I hear people tell me a story that happened to them, people that wouldn't, you know, that I wouldn't normally characterize as someone mm-hmm. who's like, I don't know, hippy dippy or like yeah. spiritual, like what, whatever you would say. Or even gullible. Or- yeah, yeah. You know, like my friend Mark was on our podcast and he told us two ghost stories that happened, two things that happened to mm-hmm. him, encounters that he had. You know, and he's, he's just like, he was like, I didn't believe in it until that happened to me. And it, you know, and he just had these encounters. And I'm like, yeah. well, I believe that that happened to you. I don't believe that you're delusional or that you made this up. So what other explanation is there? Yeah, at least, like, I believe that you believe that you... But that's what that I mean. I, I don't think that he... I believe that those events actually happened okay. as he as stated. When I was at Engadget, we did a, a Halloween episode, and we went to a, a Grange upstate and did, like, the... Did What's the, a Grange? Or, it's basically just, like, an old... It was like an old like meeting house, um, mm. like a you know they they would do like the city council meetings there, and it was haunted, and you know went into it pretty skeptical, but like you can certainly convince yourself that something is happening while you're there. Yeah, and that's a another aspect of our podcast is when we're talking about it because we'll be in these spaces and we're, we'll be like, there's a heavy palpable energy, but of course we acknowledge that we're going in there with the express purpose of finding a ghost. So you know it's. Uh, it's very possible that we're just kind of convincing ourselves yeah. that this is happening. Have you become more or less skeptical over the course of doing the show? I think less. Um, I wouldn't say that I was skeptical before, though. But we went the the episode that I'm editing right now, um, and I didn't get it on tape. But uh, we slept in a allegedly haunted place in Atlanta. And uh, in the middle of the night, I was laying awake, and I heard this really loud noise in our room that sounded like human slash animal, and it scared the shit out of me. Like a scream or a shriek? It was like a, almost like a yell, but sort of like a pig snort, too. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Um, Do you do an approximation on the episode? I do, yeah. Okay. Except that, like, I, and I, I wish that I had done it. I wish I had done it right after it happened. I wish Mm -hmm. I had grabbed the recorder. And been like, this is what just happened, and this is what I heard in the middle of the night. Yeah. But I was so... Were I, you awake at the time? I was awake because the person next door to us in the next room had their TV on really loud, and uh-huh. I could hear it through the wall. And I was, like, laying and listening to the TV um, through this the wall. This sound was definitely not coming through the wall. No, and then it sounded like there's a sound, like, right there, like, yeah. right by the closet, like, in our rooms. And it was it happened for long enough that I had time while it was happening to be like, this sound is happening. Like, Some sort of prolonged ghost pig man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so that's the only thing that's happened to yeah. us. Nothing else has happened to us. But that has made me, I guess, less skeptical. Is that kind of the hope that at some point over the course of this that you... You know, I guess it is because that's definitely my co-host's hope. But yeah. I am legitimately fearful. And um, 
I, not that I, I don't think I'm going to get hurt by a ghost. It's just as scary to me. So what's the dynamic there between the two of you, you know, in terms of like where, where you land? It sounds like she's a little more pro ghost encounter. Yeah, she is. She is. And she's not scared. She has no problem yeah. sleeping. <laughs> she slept very soundly. I woke her up when that noise happened and I was like, Lillian, did you hear that? And she was like, no. And then she, she fell... must have been pissed that she missed it. I, <laughs> she missed the pig You know, start. I don't think she was pissed. That's funny. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I think she, because, well, she was just like, I mean, we talked about it the next day, and she was like, yeah, you heard that sound, and then you woke me up three times. And I was like, I surely did wake you up. Yeah, I don't think she was pissed. I think she was just like, well, that happened, and next time we should make sure we're recording all night so that we catch whatever happens. What's the reaction been like amongst the, I guess, the occult community? I don't know if they're aware of our podcast okay. yet. It's a pretty brand new one. We've only got five episodes out. We The first one came out on Halloween. So I think that they would think that we're mocking them. It which, is a comedy podcast. It is a comedy podcast. and But it's mostly just like, it's mostly us going into place. The thing is that we actually do believe in ghosts. So we're mm-hmm. not mocking what they do. But there is a self-seriousness to the way that a lot of paranormal investigators treat this type of thing and so we're going into it and like i said we're kind of drunk we're you know badgering the front desk clerk at a an allegedly haunted hotel in the middle of the night um we're cracking jokes to each other making go you know jokes about the ghosts we're just like cracking jokes the whole time i assume the self-seriousness is kind of a defensiveness because they're probably used to people making fun right. of them right that's that's, that's very possible. Yeah. Yeah. When we went to this place upstate, like we actually went with a paranormal investigator. She had all the tools and everything. Mm-hmm. She showed us like what they use. And some of them you're like, yeah, I, I guess so. But a lot of them are just like, oh, no, you've done a really dumb thing to that, you know, Radio Shack light switch. And mm-hmm. do you actually engage directly with the community when you do this or do you just kind of go and stay in the place? No, we just go stay yeah. or we go, you know, we went to a haunted uh, restaurant and we are going to try to go to one soon in New York. Yeah. I mean, we've we've talked to like we did one at the maritime hotel Mm -hmm. and i interviewed or we interviewed um one of the doormen and we interviewed my friend who used to work there who had some sort of experience there uh but no we haven't engaged we haven't brought in any like actual paranormal investigators it's just us being dumb and you know using trying to use tarot cards to contact a spirit Uh or trying to get an evp on the voice on the recorder ouija board no i won't touch a ouija board oh genuinely fearful of a Ouija board? I am. Is being haunted good publicity? You know, it's funny because, like, the the Maritime Hotel, we did an episode there, and uh, back in the 90s, or no, I guess it was, like, 2010 or 9, I think, is when it opened up, when the hotel opened, and somebody planted a story in page 6 of the New York Post, I think, that said that, allegedly, the hotel was haunted, and then... Whatever the thing was that I read, they they were they believed whoever wrote it that it was a publicity stunt that somebody had planted mm-hmm. that story, um, that some publicist planted it there to like drum up some sort of you know air of like ooh yeah. mysticism or whatever and like maybe that would be cool, but I think it's not uh, in vogue currently. I don't. I mean, I'm sure for some place because there are places that market themselves as being a haunted place. Uh, there's a haunted bed and breakfast my cousin sent me, and like it, you know, it's mm-hmm. right in their in their description on their website. But um, so yeah, I think it depends. I mean, at the Maritime, we did talk to some people who had some experiences, but then I also just asked the woman at the front desk, and she was like, "No, I mean, <laughs> there's no." And uh, at the the Highland Inn in Atlanta, where we did the last episode, we we tried to that add, was a pig. That man. was the pig demon. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, we asked the front desk guy, and he was like, no, some idiot wrote that the, there's a mop closet downstairs that's haunted, but I think it's a bunch of shit or whatever. And we were like, okay. So maybe you need to start, like, going to places that are more universally agreed upon as being haunted. You know, to be honest, I, you know, I've, I've been editing the episode where the guy kind of rejected us. I mean, we asked yeah. him to talk to us on, you know, on record uh, for the podcast, and he kind of was like, no. And he also was like, I don't believe it's haunted. But that, to me, is funny. Like, listening yeah. to us go and trying to, to like, get pe- like engage people about ghosts and them being like, get out of here, is funny to me. So yeah. that's that's fine. Is there sort of a concern that the, the tenor of the show will change if, if you do get to a point where when you are taking it too seriously? Uh, not right now. Yeah. But I, I, just, know, I, I guess at what point, and not that it's a bad thing, but at what point does it become like coast to coast? You know, at what point does it become right. Art Bell? Um, I, I guess we'll just know when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe we won't uh, because we'll be too close to it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I truly don't know what the future of this thing is, but we just started doing it and it's been fun and I'm sure we'll get better at it but then who knows i have no idea i i don't think we're gonna ever start taking ourselves seriously but who knows who knows